He created the earth in seven days. No, make that six. He took a day off. Scholars valued his wisdom at age 12. His legend precedes him the way lightning precedes thunder. He has more followers than Twitter has accounts. He likes to take long walks on water. He is the most fascinating guy on the planet. Fascinating. Hello, good morning. My name is Luke. Hello to our Edgewood campus and our Bel Air campus. Exciting stuff happening there. Uh, go check that out tonight. Um, if, maybe if you live up that way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, someone sent me a text message and they said, it said, free Rita's today. One of my friends, free Rita's. Maybe some of you were there. Uh, we do things like that, right? We tell our friends that when Chick-fil-A is giving away free food because you dress up like a cow, right? You tell your friends. Well, I, I think we should, we can think of Easter in that same way. Tell your friends. Jesus is alive. We're going to celebrate Tell your friends, uh, look for that opportunity to make the most of the chance to get people with Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing. Our elders have challenged themselves to bring 12 to Easter, at least 12. And if you're thinking about that, use these cards. They're in the seat pockets. Write the names down. And if you want to offer those as, to, to the church to be praying for those names, just like a prayer request, drop it in the bucket on the way out so we can uh, make the most of the opportunity to bring people, to get them with Jesus. Because think about it, if you knew someone who was so fascinating, uh, someone whose personality was so magnetic that they can't carry credit cards, wouldn't you want to, to introduce people to them? The most fascinating guy on the planet. He can cook minute rice in 15 seconds. <laughs> he, he doesn't learn from his mistakes. Mistakes learn from him. He's the most fascinating guy on the planet. Even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number. The most fascinating guy on the planet. I hope you've gotten to know him a little bit over the last few weeks. We ripped off the concept from the beer commercial, right? But it's all about Jesus. Now, you may never get to know that rugged man that sits in the corner of the VIP section with his entourage around him. But Jesus makes himself available to us. Uh, now, he does have an entourage of sorts, and we're going to see them a little bit today. As we look at Jesus from yet another angle, the people who are around him and closest to him are going to come in uh, to focus, and there'll be plenty more fascinating things to observe. But uh, observe this with me first. I've noticed that uh, we are pretty fascinated anytime there is a selection that's being made, when the few are chosen out of the many. Okay, this is especially true in the sports world. This last Monday, the NCAA tournament came to an end, March Madness, but it all began with Selection Sunday. The cameras were rolling and people tuned in and college campuses all around the country rallied their constituency to find out who would be chosen to play for college basketball's national championship. The NFL draft is coming up. And my goodness, how long is that thing? Just round after round, go, all the media fan frenzy to find out who was selected and by which team and in which round. In fact, the draft is so long that you might have missed this, that in the 83rd round, <laughs> the Vikings selected a promising, though aged, wrestler whom they hoped that they could turn into a football player. However, it didn't work out and they later released him. We're fascinated by those kind of situations, right? And it's not just sports fan. People want to find out who, who's going to be selected as the next bachelor or bachelorette. Who will be among the next Dancing with the Stars cast? Who will make it to The Voice top 10? There's a whole results show and you can find out. Uh, which, which business ideas are the Sharks going to choose? Who's the next celebrity apprentice? Who's really got talent? Who are the judges going to put in to the next round? And in most cases, the answer to those questions is the best and the brightest. That's who the cameras zoom in on. 
the finest and the fittest. That's who we're looking for. Right? That's who ZipRecruiter will help you find if you need to hire someone, according to their ads. The Marines are on the hunt for the few and the proud. Which reminds me of a phone call I received from an Army recruiter when I was 19. Uh, I had just broken and dislocated my hip playing football my freshman year of college. And I was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk. I got a phone call, and he starts going through his pitch, and I said, I'm in a wheelchair, I can't walk, I broke my hip. And it was a really short conversation. I was, I was very quickly disqualified from the selection pool. And that's how we know it to go. Anytime a selection has to be made, a choice has to be made about who's going to move forward, who's going to get the opportunity, who's going to lead the way, whose ideas will shape the future. We're fascinated. Anytime we, we want to find out who is going to be chosen. And that's what leads me to say that if the uh, events of the Bible were unfolding in the present day, you can be sure that the cameras would be out and people would be tuning in to the happenings described in the book of Mark, chapter 3, a very key moment in the life of the most fascinating guy on the planet. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and take it out and turn to Mark, chapter 3, it's in the New Testament, second book of the Bible. It's about that far in your Bible if you're using like a real one with pages, okay? Uh, dial it up on your phone if you have it. And let's follow around this this man, just a little bit, case. Okay? Chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says that Jesus withdrew to, with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd followed him from Galilee. When they'd, when they'd heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from all over the region. Now, because of the crowd, Jesus told his disciples, well, why don't you get me in a boat to, to keep the people from crowding around me so much? Because he'd healed so many people that those with diseases were pushing forward just to touch him. And when the impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those that he wanted and they came to him. It's draft day, selection Sunday. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve. Uh, Simon Peter, uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and of course Judas Iscariot. And Ryan Seacrest would say, there's your top twelve. I said, when we look at Jesus today, the people around him are also going to come into view, and we need to see them. If we're really going to understand the most fascinating guy on the planet, we need to observe this selection here. Who were these people? How are they chosen? What are they asked to do? And what did they become? Some fascinating answers awaiting us. And we start to find them just a little bit before this draft day. In the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, of which Mark is one, Matthew, Luke, and John are the others, we get these little glimpses into the, the, some of these people's lives to discover a little bit about who they are. You start reading the New Testament, you find out, well, some of them fished. That's what they did. Jesus called them right there on the shore. said, come, let's go fish for people. He chose uh, one of them out of the tax collector's guild, that notorious sinner cesspool. A, co a couple of random guys, uh, it seems that way anyway. One of them, a bigot, in uh, John chapter 1, judges Jesus before he even meets him. Jesus gives him a second chance, though, to make a first impression. The zealot was an interesting choice. Uh, the zealots were this ardent political group. They sought to overthrow the Roman government. Now, Jesus didn't identify with that group, but he, he chooses one of their members to be part of his team. 
And then Judas. I, I don't know how he makes the cut. Judas, the name that is synonymous with traitor the world over. Jesus chooses him to be with him and to be sent out and, and represent him. It's fascinating. These are long shots. Draft busts. That's what the reporters would, would be saying. The news articles would be printing. The, the Philly fans would be booing these guys off the stage right now. Okay? People scratching their heads, trying to figure out, digging up the credentials on what, who are these people. Like randomness seemed to be the guiding selection strategy here. When Jesus chose his band of world changers, it looked more like who's the next contestant on the Price is Right rather than the few, the proud, the marine. Anyone who's ever struggled to understand how Jesus could choose or love or believe in them ought to take a second look at him and these people that he chooses. I mean, what have you been led to believe about who God picks and how one qualifies? For the person who's looking to find God or to get right with God, do you imagine that to be something like applying for admission at MIT or performing for Simon Cowell or like opening an invitation? Don't answer that question without getting to know the most fascinating guy on the planet. Uh, the cynics would have been shaking their heads at Jesus in Mark chapter 3, but the optimists might have been saying, well, maybe it'll work out. Maybe they'll come around. Maybe Jesus knows something that I don't know, and they'll turn out to be diamonds in the rough. But if you keep following the biographies of Jesus' life, you discover that it doesn't work out. They don't come around, and they're about as valuable to Jesus as a hole in the head. Over and over again, this group whom Jesus vested with authority, they show themselves to be incredibly thick-headed, uh, don't exhibit at all the kinds of prerequisites that you would assume would have to be there for a group like this. Mark, Mark 4, they're with Jesus, but they're scared by a storm. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? No faith concerning Mark chapter 6, they, now they are casting out demons, but it goes on. They show lack of understanding and hardened hearts. By Mark 8, Jesus calls them out on it. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts so hard? It's like you, you got eyes, but you can't see. You got ears, but you can't hear. And then Mark 9, a desperate father brings his demon-possessed boy to Jesus, tattling on the disciples in the process. He says, I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they couldn't. Why not? That's one of the things that Jesus gave them the ability to do. And we get more glimpses of this select group not understanding Jesus' mission, afraid to ask him about it. They're shooing the children away from Jesus, the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to do in that moment, and they all desert him at the end. That's who they are. So I'm asking, number one, why are these things recorded in the Bible about Jesus' followers? Scrub the story. And Jesus is asking, how long should I put up with you? It's fascinating. The story's not scrubbed. And Jesus does put up with them. And those two things are true of me. My story's not scrubbed. And Jesus bears with me. And the same is true of you as well. Which brings my attention to another fascinating thing. As I look at this man and those whom he's called, I'm not just intrigued by who they are, but how Jesus chooses them. Now, understand, Jesus was seen as a rabbi, a teacher, master. Okay? And 
And rabbis didn't generally go out in search of their students. No, not, the well-respected rabbis would have students coming to them. Students would make application to them, hoping that they would be welcomed in. Well, Jesus reverses this process. He goes out in search of his students, which is fascinating. To the common observer, it might smack of desperation. Or does it say something profound about this man and the God that he represents? Jesus, people are calling your selection of the twelve a desperate maneuver. To which Jesus might respond, exactly. Look at this from another angle. The Bible gives us many different angles and perspectives of Jesus, and we get one in Revelation, which, which is fascinating. Revelation is the very end of the Bible. It's this fantastic vision given by the risen Jesus himself when he appears to John, and he says, write down what you see. And John does. He says, I'll tell you what I see. In chapter 1, I turned and I saw a man with a golden sash, hair pure white, eyes blazing like fire, feet like glowing bronze, his voice the sound of rushing water, seven stars in his hand, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. It's Jesus. But don't get caught up in, in interpreting it all literally. Just know this is amazing, powerful, radiant Jesus, right? And he comes to John and he says, I've got a message for the people in the churches. So write down what I tell you and send them that message. And that's the book of Revelation. It is that message. Well, look at what radiant, powerful Jesus says to the churches. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. This is how Jesus works. The most intriguing, most powerful man in the world waiting on the porch like a Girl Scout hoping you buy some cookies. That's what Jesus does. Yes, it shows desperation that, that Jesus would choose the I'll come to you rather than the you come to me approach. But desperation not out of insecurity but out of deep love. And out of that same love, it shows incredible uh, restraint that he would uh, wait there on the front step and say, if you want to open the door, I will come in. Rather than force you, I'll risk being rejected. You can ignore me like the teenager hawking new windows if you want, but I'm here. Instead of a hostile takeover, I'll wait for you to respond. And join my team. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is recruiting you. The most fascinating, powerful, incredible man on the planet is recruiting you. I know someone, a young man in our church right now, is being recruited for football. Big old boy. Being recruited by some big Division I universities who are coming to call on him. You ever been recruited? Not many people can say that they have been uh, pursued, people knocking on your door, sending you text messages, showcasing what they have to offer, all in hopes that you'll say yes. Now, if you find it fascinating that these big, prestigious, historic institutions would go to such lengths to court 16-year-old 16, uh, 16 kids, consider that the Lord of the universe is knocking on your door. Now, maybe you've got it locked. Maybe the porch light is off because you're just sure nobody's coming for you. But this is the most fascinating guy on the planet. Against all convention, he pursues you. Against all convention and expectation, he recruits and picks these 12. 
But what does he recruit them for? Look, Jesus didn't come to the world to do a trivial thing. He came to do an important thing. He didn't come to spray perfume on all the flowers. He didn't come to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. He came to rebuild the Titanic and save people from drowning. Here's the situation briefing. World's broke, needs fixing. God's solution is nothing short of the restoration of all things. Every heart, everyone, everything made new. Now, God made the world, and he is its king. But all the people of the world have run off in rebellion. We want to be our own kings. That's called sin. And sin leads to death. And death ain't nothing we can do about death. Sin and death plague each of our lives, and they plague the whole world. God says to Jesus, let's fix that. Go alert everyone. Let the world know that I am setting up my kingdom to handle sin and death and to set everything and everyone right again. That is Jesus' mission. And what we see in Mark chapter 3 is that Jesus' mission is having some small success. There are some people who want to turn from sin and restore their relationship with the king as a result of what they've seen in Jesus. And Jesus calls them to be with him, which means so many good things. You're healed, you're forgiven, you're freed, you have peace with God, you grow in the wisdom of God. As it is described in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. So Jesus, Jesus isn't selling Girl Scout cookies. He's not even offering college scholarships. He's saying, I will make you new. You will be with me, and I will be with you. That, that's what he says in the book of Mark. He says he, he brought them to be with him. But then what does it say? He sends them out. Jesus isn't babysitting. He's not calling them just to cuddle under a blanket. No, he's recruiting them to send them out, to preach, to announce what God is doing. Alert everyone, our God reigns. Not through military force, but through his loving appeal. Again, in 2 Corinthians, it says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And notice what Jesus says. He says, as my ambassador, you go with my authority. The evil that holds this world captive has no authority over me. It has no authority over you. So you cast it out because it has no place in my reconciled world. So it's like this. Jesus is with God. God sends Jesus to be his agent for reconciling the world to himself. Jesus gathers sinners to be with him and then sends them out to be his agent of reconciliation. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, is exactly the way he puts it to his disciples one time. So if you're keeping track at home, God sends Jesus, amazing, awesome Jesus, and Jesus sends these 12 dudes. Look out, darkness! Jesus just gave authority over evil to people. Yeah, but he gave it to these guys. Put all earthly powers on notice. God's reign is being established on the earth through these guys. It's fascinating. Here's what you need to know. 
Uh, this isn't just about these 12 guys. God's desire to heal the world extends to you. God loves you. Sin-plagued, proud, rebellious you. And God sent his agent, Jesus, the most fascinating guy on the planet, he sent him to you and for you. And he's armed with grace and truth, with forgiveness and peace and joy, with life and blessing, with power and healing and love. He brings all of that straight from the king to you, right to your doorstep, just like he did for the 12 and just like he does for everyone. You have been selected to receive all of that. And Jesus wants to know, will you open the door and receive the kingdom? Will you allow your, uh, your home to be claimed as territory of God's kingdom? Your heart and your mind as places where, God's reign, where God reigns? Will you submit your life and your will to the king and be reconciled to him? Knowing that when God reigns, there is hope. There is life, there is victory over death, there is forgiveness of sin, there is joy overflowing, there is new creation, there is unlimited access to the King. Jesus was sent as an agent to you with that appeal. God is making his appeal to you through Jesus to let you know you've been selected. Not because you earned it, not because you impressed the judges, not because of how you performed, not because of your track record, but in spite of it. And if that wasn't fascinating enough in its own right, understand this, that those who open the door and are reconciled to the king, they are sent out as agents of the king, as ambassadors, as if God were now making his appeal through you. Ambassador, What's, uh, what are the requirements for that again? Be reconciled to the king. And, and who can, can do that exactly? Oh, we, we've seen these 12. They're the ones that hang the closest to Jesus, but there's plenty more. If you just read the story, there's wealthy, stately women, loose women, foreign women, cheaters, thieves, demon-possessed, highly religious, government officials, teenagers, leaders, educated and debilitated sophisticated, domesticated, all of them. They're, they're invited to be with Jesus and to be sent out as ambassadors, as are you, invited to be with Jesus and to be sent out. You know, it's fascinating. When you consider who we are, it's a wonder that Jesus goes out and recruits us. When you consider who we are, You'd never believe that Jesus would ask us to do what he asked us to do. And when you consider who the disciples of Jesus are, you would never imagine what they become. Especially after the events that are now commemorated in Holy Week, which is upon us. Yes, Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into town. It looks as if the crowds are indeed ready to welcome him as king. But then one of his twelve betrays him, the rest of them desert him, and the voices that once cried, Hosanna, are drowned out by shouts of crucify him. Jesus gives himself into the hands of people who will not accept him as king. 
Out of his love for them, he honors their choice to reject him. He's killed, buried, and his disciples scattered. And there is no way that you would ever believe that history would remember those people. No way. The biographies of the most fascinating man on the planet don't end until they give a few accounts of what people are reporting as a resurrection. The Jesus that everyone saw die and be buried can't be found in the place where they put him. So Jesus gets yet another shot to gather these 12 with them and send them out. He meets them on a mountain. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Of course they did. And then Jesus gathered them to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make other disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And you can be sure of this. I am always with you, even to the very end of the age. So after all kind of fits and starts and frustrations with these people whom Jesus calls to be his agents in the world, Jesus leaves them in body, but empowers them through His Spirit to continue the work that He charged them with back in Mark chapter 3 on Selection Day. And thankfully, the Bible records what happens. It reveals that that where fear once gripped the disciples, there is now boldness to speak and to act for God even in a hostile place. Where there was once ignorance of what God was up to, it is now clear. There's clear understanding. And Peter stands up and addresses the crowd and tells God's story and connects all the dots that lead to Jesus. As a result, more people are called to to Jesus and sent out in His name. Thousands of people. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by these very people. All the believers were gathered together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They break bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those people who not long before had run away scared with their tail between their legs are now rallying together a community of people where the power of God is at work, where generosity is normal, where joy abounds, and fellowship is rich among all different kinds of people. And the world, the watching world whom God loves, is fascinated by it. That's the church. If you have thought that anything else is the church, some outdated institution, or just a purveyor of religious goods, or just a collection of uh, politically conservative people, that, those are all illusions. This thing that the disciples started, that Acts 2 described, that's the church. And, and as it grows, the disciples' confidence grows. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now empowering them to heal and to teach. And when it grows a little, a couple thousand more, some of the religious leaders who are not persuaded by Jesus, they get a little spooked. This Jesus thing is getting out of control. And so they throw Peter and John, two of the original twelve, they throw them in jail. But look what happens when those 
When the people who threw him in jail saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these are unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished, but they noticed. What did they notice? These guys were with Jesus. Who are they? Unschooled and ordinary. No, 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 no. Who are they? They were with the most fascinating guy on the planet. And they started a movement that no one would have ever thought possible back on Selection Day. There is no way it would ever happen if it wasn't for Jesus. Now, you you can zoom out and say, well, it's here at this point. But, but looking at the big picture, you, you would say, well, there is no way it would grow much beyond that. This little growth spurt is happening in some peripheral region of the Roman, the Roman Empire. Ever heard of it? The most powerful and dominant and expansive kingdom on earth, which advances through military power, kicking down doors and enforcing its will throughout the world, led by trained warriors. Consider... God's kingdom, which advances through genuine love, knocking on doors and waiting as one heart at a time is surrendered to God's will, led by ordinary men. Which kingdom would you bet would outlast the other? That is the stupidest question in the world back then. And today, 2,000 years later, it's still the stupidest question in the world for the exact opposite reason. Because one kingdom has come to its end and the other one endures. Look at what this movement has become. There is nothing like it on the face of the earth. And it is only because of Jesus. Now, sure. Over the years, some of the people whom Jesus has called to be with him and gone and sent out in his name, they have been about as useful as a hole in the head. And some people who say they want to live in God's kingdom leave Jesus knocking on the porch while they set up their own. But yet, God continues in the way that he works in the world. He makes his appeal through people who have let him be king. He makes his appeal to people who have surrendered themselves to him and been reconciled to him. And the movement that started with 12 and now has grown to the worldwide church endures. That is fascinating. It endures. The church endures today. And you can disqualify yourself from being a part of it if you want to. But don't do that without getting to know the most fascinating guy on the planet and those whom he chooses. If that means you need to read the Bible more, then read the Bible more. Wake up and do it in the morning. Listen to it on the way to work in the car. Do it in a group with friends. You need to, you need to know the story. Make it a priority to show up on the weekends, and get caught up in the story, caught up in the worship of the most fascinating man on the planet and the God whom he comes to represent. And discover the truth that you're being recruited. You have been picked. Jesus is knocking on your door. And so many great things come if you let him in, including an assignment to take what has come 
to you and let it flow through you for the sake of the world that God desperately loves. God loves you. He sent Jesus to let you know. Jesus sends you to let others know. So bring 12 to church next Sunday. Make generosity normal. Let your joy be contagious. Invite an outsider to have fellowship with you. For we have been reconciled to God through Christ and have become new creation. And now God is making his appeal through us for the sake of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for the beauty and the wonder of the truth we encounter today that you have pursued us, you have recruited us, you have found us. Thank you that you do invite us to be with you, to know you, uh, to be forgiven, to have life that only comes from you. I pray that all of us would be ready to receive those gifts today, to let the kingdom of God come in our hearts and our minds, to, to live as uh, disciples of the King. And I pray that we would also take hold of your mission, your, your, uh, your charge, the, the loving appeal that you want to make to a, a world that is languishing without you. I pray that we would take hold of that mission to represent you well, as your ambassadors. God, thank you for how you have shaped us for your mission. Send us out for the sake of the world. Amen.